promise long before the law even got here. And we have to realize that any sort of standard that you and I choose to live by in order to save ourselves is actually a violation of the very principle that you're saved by faith apart from works. It's easy to get caught up in the regulations of religion. You may find the rules comforting and helpful at first, but too often they become your focus. Today, Pastor Daniel will remind you that the Jewish people, too, put rules and practices above Jesus, following the law instead of looking for grace. Don't let that be. The law is meant to show you that you can't be good enough on your own. You need Jesus to rescue you with his grace. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Romans chapter 4 as he begins his message, Raised Up. you know you're getting older when you can look back on your life and start to say, I only wish I did that thing, right? And I'm definitely in that place right now in my life, you know, as I'm going to be turning 43 soon. So for some of you are like, man, he is so old. And others of you are like, man, that dude's a baby. But I start looking back on my life and I start thinking to myself, I wish I would have. Now, one of the things I've always wished that I would have done was I always wanted to play ice hockey, that was the thing that I always, I remember as a little kid uh, in where we lived next door, there was a family that had eight kids. So at the time I was probably about seven and there was about four teenage boys and they loved to play hockey. And I remember I'd watched them play hockey in the street every day. And I'm like, I got to get in there. But what was funny is they always had the goal, but there was never a goalie. So as like a seven-year-old kid, I'm like, I got an idea. I'm like, I'll play goalie. You know what I mean? And so they were like, sounds like a great idea. And I remember my neighbors, they put me in all this gear. I mean, the leg pads, I got the helmet on, I got a blocker, glove, stick, and they just stuck me in the goal. And I'm like, okay, let's do this. And they just started unloading on you with slap shots, you know? To be honest with you, I didn't even feel it. Because I was just so stoked to be playing hockey. And then once I got over like the shell shock of what was happening, then I'm like, oh, wait, I can actually do this. And so we started playing. And then within a couple of months, they were talking to my dad. And they're like, man, he's a really good goalie. And so that began my love of hockey. So I remember talking to my dad and being like, dad, I want to play ice hockey. And my dad was like, no. And I said, dad, why? He said, well, listen, he's like, you can only practice at like three in the morning. And all the gear is super expensive. And I love you, but I don't love you enough to get up at three in the morning, you know? So it was kind of this thing that I always wanted to do, but I was never allowed to do. But as we got older, you know, I I started playing other sports, baseball and soccer and all those things. I really wanted to play football. I played a little basketball, but I really wanted to play football. So they put me in basketball. I foul out in about five seconds and I go sit on the bench and cheer my team on, you know? And so I remember by the time we were in high school, we started playing roller hockey, which, you know, which was super cool. And so I'll never forget 
get it because my friends, we decided we were going to put together like a little hockey, little league with all of our friends. But the problem was, is I was in the middle of doing a production because I grew up acting and playing music and all that stuff as a kid. So I remember I was in a, a high school play and I was at that point in my growing up years where it was like I was playing sports and I was playing music and being at like the thespian kid wasn't really working with all the other things I was trying to do. So I was trying to figure out a way out of it. And so I was really giving the director a really hard time. And so finally she just got so fed up. She's like, if you don't do this, you're out of here. And I'm like, that's fine. I'm out of here. So I quit right in the middle of this thing, you know, and I'll never forget. I was so excited because I went home and my buddies were playing hockey. So I'm like, man, I you know, grabbed the hockey gear and I went down. And I played for three hours. And when I came home, I came back with the hockey gear. My mom was like, where were you? I was like, where was I playing hockey with the boys? I thought you were in the school play. Well, I was, but I'm not anymore. What happened? I went, you know, I went into the whole thing. It was my fault. It was the director's fault, blah, 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 you know? And so my mom's like, tomorrow, me and you are going to go meet with the director. And I was like, oh, no. Because Mama Fusco didn't take no mess, you know? So sure enough, I show up, and when I see my mom, she's like, I know what you did, and I know you just want to play hockey with your friends, but that's not who we are. And I remember I went to the director, and my mom walked in, and I look back on it now as a parent, I realized my mom and the director already spoke. They already knew what was going down. You know what I mean? I didn't know it at the time. And my mom walked in and said, you know, Miss So-and-so, my son is here to apologize and to ask for his part back because he was not being appropriate. And she looked at me, stone-faced. And I was just like, I'm like, uh, I'm so sorry for not wanting to be in the play. You know, like I start, you know, start rolling the thing. And my mom literally walked behind me, right? And I'm like, um, I think I want my part back, you know? And what's going on is the director is looking at me and then she's like, her eyes are diverting to my mom. And I can just imagine my mom back there and be like, give it to him, give it to him good. You know, like, give him a hard time. You know what I mean? And I remember, you know, she's like, well, listen, you know, like you, you were really disrespectful yesterday. And then I hear my mom in the back and he's apologizing for that too, aren't we right now? And I'm like, I'm so sorry for being disrespectful. You know, like I think a, a scene from a bad movie where I was the star of the movie, you know? And I remember after it was all over, the director brought me back in and, and I had to cut short my roller hockey career for a season. And I remember when I got home that night, I said to my mom, I don't understand why you would do that to me. That was totally wrong. She's like, well, listen, in this house, we don't quit on things we make commitments to. And that became a discussion that I had with my mom, I had with my dad. And still to this day, that's like a life lesson. Now, the reason I bring it up is because our families, our, our families socialize us into how we ought to be. What kind of life we ought to live. Still to this day, I have a hard time quitting anything. Even things I'm supposed to quit. Because things, you just don't quit those things. But that was burned into my heart through a lot of experiences. Right? And when I look back on my family life, certain things that I was socializing were amazing. Other things you're like, yeah, they maybe wanted to rethink that if we could have. But the thing is, is your family teaches you how to live. Right, And what's amazing is, is no matter what kind of a family you grew up in physically, when you are born again into the family of God, the great history of the family of God is meant to socialize us to see the world a certain way. 
And I think one of the great areas of tension in our lives is when we see the collision course of the ways that we are raised by our physical families and then the ways of God. And as those two things come together in areas where they don't agree, what do we do? And I think for all of us, that's the case where it's like there's the way things were in the family that I was nurtured in. And then you're born again into a new family. And then there's how does this all work together? And really what we learn is that families are designed to raise us up. And no matter how good your family was, there are good things and bad things. But once you become part of the family of God, who the Lord is and what he does wants to raise each one of us up into a new way of being. And in a lot of ways, the, the ways of the family of God is completely amazing. And so I want to talk about what does it mean to be raised up today. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We're going to be taking verses 13 to 25. So it's really the second half of Romans chapter 4. Now at this point, if you've been here at Crossroads at all, if you've been bringing your Bible, your Bible should just open to the book of Romans. You know what I mean? Like each Sunday, like Romans 1, Romans 1, Romans 2, Romans 2, Romans 3. So I know we're going super slow through the book of Romans, but we like it. We're taking a leisurely walk through the book of Romans together. Now, If we pick up in verse 13, it says this. It says, for the promise that he, was just speaking of Abraham, would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, verse 17, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. Now, what I love about any family, things are repeated over and over and over again. Isn't it true? Like, how many times when you were growing up did your family tell a story and you heard it over? You're like, yeah, yeah, I heard that story 900 times, right? Over and over and over and over and over again. But what it is is that every family has a a family story. And the beauty is, is that the Apostle Paul has been telling us now for three chapters the exact same thing over and over again from different angles. So I'm going to say it to you again because Paul is repeating it because he needs to make sure that we get it. And here's the thing that we're learning, that salvation is by faith. And now he adds, according to grace. Salvation is by faith, according to grace. This is the good news of Christianity. The good news of the gospel message is that a person is saved, bought back by faith, According to grace, not of the things that you do. And if you've been journeying with us through this series that we're calling Life Intention, this first series in the book of Romans, we keep coming back to this point. That a person is saved not by what they do, but by faith in Jesus, who is God's perfect embodiment of life who died on the cross for our sins. That doesn't mean that there's no place for performance, but nobody is saved by performance. It doesn't mean that there's no place for works. It just means that we're not saved by works. We're saved unto good works. We're saved into new works. 
But we're not saved by our works. Right? Now, what the Apostle Paul has been doing is he's been using Abraham as a great example. Because for the Jewish people, Abraham was the father of Judaism. Right? And even within the Gentile culture, Abraham was revered as a great man. A man who was known as a man of amazing faith. And so now what he says in verse 13 is for the promise that he, Abraham, would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made of made void and the promise of no effect because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. So what we have now is Paul is now setting at odds, juxtaposing, placing against one another this idea of works or works of law as opposed to faith. And really what he's saying is that you can't have it both ways. If you are saved by your performance, then you're not saved by faith. And if you're saved by faith, you should never trust in your performance. And so really what he's saying is that the promise that God made to Abraham, that he would be the father of of many nations, that didn't happen because of the law. It happened because of Abraham's faith. And you have to remember that the law came way after Abraham was alive. Listen to what it says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So you got to remember that for the Jewish people, Abraham leads us all the way to Moses and the law. But really what Paul is saying is that Abraham received this promise long before the law even got here. And we have to realize that any sort of standard that you and I choose to live by in order to save ourselves is actually a violation of the very principle that you're saved by faith apart from works. And so really what goes on, I think, and the reason the Apostle Paul is making this point so significantly is because what goes on is somebody will put their faith and trust in Jesus, but then will automatically begin to think that they're actually justified by the things they do and don't do. Right? So it's like you trust Jesus, but then you're like, well, really my standing with God is based on my performance. And really what happens is, is what begins by grace ends up becoming an attempt at works. This, I mean, this happened for me. I remember when I first gave my life to Jesus. I remember right away I ended up going to a church where, you know, it was all the do's and do nots. And I remember very quickly that, like, I was like, oh yeah, I used to party, but now I don't party anymore. And so I'm really spiritual. And I was basing my spirituality on the fact that I wasn't as big of a train wreck as I was before. But the problem was I began to look down on other people. People who were partying, I'm like, oh man, you shouldn't be doing that. You're messed up. You know, and I began to have an elevated view of myself, which is what happens when you begin to trust in works apart from grace. Now, here's the thing. I didn't realize it. And I had someone talk to me about it. And I'm like, you're crazy. Because the thing is, when you're stuck in works righteousness, you're the last person to know it. But you'll always know that you have a works mentality when you really dislike somebody who does the things you used to do. When the things that 
you no longer do. If you look down on so bad, you're like, oh, then you know you're stuck in works. Because if you're not in works, but you're in grace, when you see that person, you're like, I was totally there as well. And thank God for Jesus that he saved me. See, what I have found is that somebody who used to be an alcoholic really loves to judge people who drink today. Because you've seen what God has done in your life, but then you get caught up in the fact that I used to do it, I don't do it anymore, it's the worst thing ever. But when you realize that you've been saved by sheer grace, you never get that arrogance. And listen, we have to ask ourselves, as as the body of Christ, are we looking down on people who make the same mistakes we made back in the day? Are we the kind of people who think it's about works? Or do we say to ourselves, God's grace saved me. Not by what I did, but by what Jesus did. And by me judging somebody in my heart, by me not extending love and grace to them, am I pushing them away from the one thing that can save them? Now, I'm not saying we should be soft on sin, but there's a difference between saying, hey, look, that's really not so healthy, and literally looking down on somebody. Don't we all know what it's like to... Be repulsed by something because of the judgment of another person. I remember when I was on my journey towards Jesus, there was a believer in my life who was really judgmental. And I remember thinking to myself, why would I ever want to be like that person? And I remember when I got saved, my next thought was, and I've said this before, my next thought was, oh no, am I going to become like that guy? I'm a Christian? That's what a Christian is like. I don't want to be like that. See, Salvation is by faith apart from works. Now, he tells us a couple things here about the law that I think are really important. Notice, he says that if those who are of the law are the heirs, or of the heirs of the promise, the inheritors of the promise, faith is made void and the promise of no effect. So it can't be one and the other. It's one or the other. And then it says, because the law brings about wrath, For where there is no law, verse 15, there is no transgression. Now think about that. That's a powerful statement. Why does the law bring about wrath? Because once there is a law, then you know what is acceptable and what is not. And then because of the knowledge of the acceptability of something, when you choose to live against that, then you are now transgressing. You are willfully being disobedient. Now, in the same way, we all know what it's like to have situations where you don't know what the expectations are, right? And then, like, everyone know what I'm talking about? Where you don't know what you're supposed to do, and then when you don't do it, someone gets really mad at you, and you're like, hey, I didn't know that I was supposed to do that. Like, I always tell people, especially when people are getting married, I always remind them, listen, expectations ruin relationships. If your spouse doesn't know what you expect of them, I guarantee you they're going to make you insane. Because expectations that are not articulated and understood, you're setting someone up for failure. That's why I always love when I was in school, teachers would say, okay, if you want to get an A in this class, this is what you need to do. And they'd lay it all out for you. Listen, we're getting, 30% of your grade is the exams, and the exams are going to be on the reading. 30% of your grade is going to be based on attendance, which means I had to show up if I wanted to get a good grade. You know what I mean? And then 40% of your grade is based on these two papers, which are, and when that happened, I'm like, I love this teacher because I knew exactly what they wanted from me. Does that make sense? But when you don't know what's expected of you, it's impossible to be able to live up to it. But here's the thing. When you have been very clear about your expectations and someone doesn't live up to it, then you know that they're just messed up. It's one of the things we do here on our staff. We have a large staff here at Crossroads. We're always talking about this is how you ace your job. 
This is what we're holding you accountable to. And then if someone isn't doing it, like, hey, listen, you know that your job description says this. This is what we're holding you accountable for. This is why you have a job. And now the thing is, is this, the, all these things didn't go well. So is it that you can't do it or you won't do it? Is it a hard thing or a skill thing? Right? If it's a skill thing, we can train you on the skills. But if it's a hard thing, only you can ask God to do a work in your heart. Does that make sense? And so in a lot of ways, once the law was given, then a person could say, I'm not going to do that. Now, can we all acknowledge that we've all transgressed in that way? We know what we're supposed to do. We just don't want to do it. You know what it's like when you're driving down I-5 and it's 55 mile an hour and you're behind a truck and you're just like, I just am tired of being behind this big truck. And so you pop out into the left lane and you press the gas and you push that thing to 71. That's called transgressing. Right? It's like, you know what the speed limit says. You know, and then if you get pulled over, you're like, listen, I was just in the passing lane. I've been going 55 for the last 87 miles. You know, I just, you know, just that one moment, right? But the thing is, is you know when you get pulled over and you're in the left lane going 71 and a 55, you could cry, you can reason, you know, all this stuff. The cop can give you a ticket because you transgressed the law, right? And so in the same way, what the law does is it shows us what the standard is. And because it shows us the standard, then the punishment for violating that standard happens. But then notice what he says, verse 16. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. He's saying, listen, but salvation is not of works or us transgressing the law. It's of faith that it might be according to grace to whether somebody grew up Jewish, they're of the law, or to somebody who has the faith of Abraham. Someone who grew up outside of the law. And then it tells us, as is written, I have made you a father of many nations. And that's a quotation from Genesis 17.5. So this idea of being heirs, the heir of the world, Abraham is the father of us all. See, what you find is that Abraham is meant to be the father of all those who would believe in God. All those who would be saved by faith. That it might be according to grace. Now, before I leave the word grace, I just want to define it for you once again. If you've been here, we talk about grace, we always define it. Because oftentimes in our culture, these words mean different things. So if you're just saying, hey, what does it mean to, to have grace? Someone would say, oh, somebody who is, you know, they move effortlessly through a room like a ballerina. Right? Or somebody who's got social graces. So somebody who you could say something super mean to and they just kind of smile and you feel good. And then you feel bad that you said something mean because they're so socially gifted. Right? But grace is literally God's unmerited, undeserved favor. Jesus is real. What's your definition of grace? Today, Pastor Daniel reminded you that grace is forgiveness that you needed and didn't deserve, but Jesus gave it to you anyway. You didn't do anything to earn it. No amount of good deeds or trying hard would have ever been enough. You can only truly live set free from your sins when you accept this fact and then accept the grace to take care of all you've done wrong. 
Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us today for Jesus is Real Radio. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel talks with you about having hope. Hope doesn't always make sense, especially when life is falling apart all around you. Yet God still makes you promises. You can always trust Him to fulfill them. Pastor Daniel will share examples of biblical characters with no reason to hope. Yet they kept faith in their Creator, building a testimony that impacts you still today. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series, Life Intention. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.